0: Hey everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson with I Don't Care, with Kevin Stevenson, of course, uh here on Market Scale Radio. Uh we've got uh we've got a really interesting uh topic today. Got a really interesting guest, uh Stuart Archer, who's the CEO of Oceans Healthcare. Oceans is a big behavioral health provider here a- in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. So Stuart, welcome to I Don't Care. Well,
1: well, thank you so much for having me and, and, and thanks to all your listeners for uh for uh participating today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stuart, you know, I was reading your bio. Uh, looks like you started the company, joined the company in 2014. Really been on a heavy expansion uh, track. Uh, 33 hospitals uh, or 33 locations from 23 hospitals uh, across three states. Uh, you know, let's just jump into you know, behavioral health is such a boy. It, it's hot right now. So so, give me your perspective on. You know what's really going on in behavioral health in our country right now, and, and let's talk about some of the challenges and, and the opportunities that behavioral health uh,
1: presents. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I'll tell you. You know, behavioral health, uh, like a lot of folks in on the healthcare provider side. I found uh, this industry later in my career. I, I started uh, my career actually in a much different world. I was a college football coach for a couple of years, and then I uh, spent the next two decades in post-acute. And you know, we always dabbled in behavioral health. We had a unit or two, but by no means were we experts in it. And and looking back, I think we, we while we tried hard, I think we had a lot to learn. And, and as you mentioned in 2014, I was asked to to come to Oceans as our as our CEO and and since then, um, you know, have been blessed to be a part of our mission here, but have seen, you know, firsthand. I think, um, despite our despite our best intentions, um, how behavioral health is really, uh, in many ways, still in the shadows of healthcare in general, and the funding decisions we make, and and even in you know some of the decisions we make in our community. I, I think I think if COVID has done one thing. I think it's given us a common, um, you know, thing, you know, you know, anything, anxiety, um, stress, all those things have become something that we can all relate to during COVID and maybe in our own ways relate better to behavioral health patients in our communities.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I I mean, just, just dealing with our own employees, uh, you know, with all of the stress and anxiety that's, that's occurred over the last couple of years, you know, we, we could probably fill our own unit, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, just with those folks. But, you know, you touched on a lot of issues that that we face in behavioral health, you know, primarily just really, it's really just the lack of access and the lack of facilities out there. So talk a little bit about that, because I know that's a real frustration for the case managers here at my hospital with where do we send all
1: of these patients that we're seeing? Well, I, you know, I, I think, it, look, I would say this, when I joined in 2014 to Oceans, certainly the mission resonated with me, but, but as I really, you know, jumped into this and we worked to grow our company at scale, it was shocking, you know, to someone who had been in healthcare for over two decades, uh, you know, even today, the gaps that we have in our behavioral health network, and, and I would say there's a couple of reasons. I think that, um, you, know, you know, over 50 years ago, we decided to deinstitutionalize uh, many of these patients, get away from state-run psychiatric hospitals, and that was certainly the right decision. With advancements in medication, with advancements in treatment options, um, you know, we were able to af- help people to afford them the life that they, that they deserved in the community where their family lived. The the, the problem was, is that we never funded mentally, you know, the mental health system adequately. And And I think it points to a couple issues. One is, you know, most health systems, I think, are very equipped for acute illnesses. If you break your leg, if you get in a car wreck, if you get a stroke, the American healthcare system is really, really good at that. What we're not so good at are chronic illnesses and the care of chronic illness patients. And so when you look at a behavioral health patient, many of them have conditions that, uh, unfortunately, they may be suffering with for a lifetime. And so we, we put Band-Aids on things. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, in many of our communities, the jails today remain the largest behavioral health hospital in every community. And so um, I, I think that you know, each state as well has taken a very different approach to the funding of behavioral health, which, which has led to some of the issues that we see across the nation.
0: Yeah, you you're, you're so right there and something else that that we've seen just in our emergency department is just those behavioral health patients that are coming in they're coming in so much more uh you know acute they're more agitated and they, mm-hmm. frankly they're more violent you know talk a little bit about that uh you know in your facilities if you've seen some similar uh, issues.
1: Well, we, we have, and, and I think it, it, it you know, uh, first of all, I would say a behavioral health patient is four times more likely to be the victim of violence than to be be someone who, who initiates violence. Now, that being said, certainly a behavioral health patient's capacity at times is impaired, and many of them, Uh, whether it be lack of access to primary care, lack of access to appropriate psychiatric care on the outpatient side, or lack of inpatient beds as you mentioned, turn to drugs and to other things to help fill that void. Uh, and, And I'll tell you, one of the most sobering statistics today is over half of the counties in Texas have no practicing psychiatrists. So if you think about that, in any other part of healthcare, it would be deemed a national emergency. I mean, there, we wouldn't stand for that. I think in behavioral health, you know, for a lot of historic reasons, um, you know, we're a bit bonded to that. Now, Now, I would say to your point, I think we've done a better job nationally talking about mental health. We've done a national, you know, a better job talking about access in that. And so we are seeing here, you know, following COVID, really a mental health pandemic of its own making, and folks are coming sicker than ever. They're coming, they're coming needing treatment more than ever. And, and I think, and, and again, you know, if you've seen one state, you've kind of seen one state, uh, mental health and the behavioral health resources in every state uh, can differ, you know, greatly across this nation.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you know, and, and you brought up a great point, you know, back 50 years ago, when we, uh, you know, basically decentralized mm-hmm. uh, mental health care from state institutions and things like that. And, and really, kind of brought it back into the open because everybody back in the day, you know, if they had somebody that had some mental health issues, they just send them off for the most part. But but you know, but winding those institutions down, bringing those people really back into a more of a mainstream environment, you know, did that did that actually increase the stigma of behavioral health in your in your estimation?
1: You know, I I, I think in some ways. What we do, you know, what what a lot of, you know, well, think about the nature of a behavioral health hospital. It's a locked facility. It's scary. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, unfortunately, there's all kind of movies and TV shows and other things that portray uh, behavioral health hospitals in a way that's almost cartoonish. And and so so you have that in the background. You have state hospitals that by their very nature were separate and distinct from the community. And so you have a provider class that is hidden from much of the community. And you layer on top of that the stigma of the care. And so you have hospitals providing care in the shadows Uh, in in, in a quiet way and certainly respectful of patients' treatment choices. Um, But in that absence, in that vacuum, it allows a lot of things to happen and I think misconceptions to happen. And, and, and I would say this, I think the modern behavioral health hospital, um, it, it, you, know, you know, obviously respects and honors the rights of every patient that it touches. Mm-hmm. The treatments are scientifically based, the staff are as focused as any, as any healthcare facility you're going to find, um, but they do that in private, they do that many times with the confidence of the family, um, but they do it uh, on, under an increasingly tough situation.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're so right. Well, and, and health systems and hospitals, like mine, are, are just feeling the pressure to find ways to to provide access to to behavioral health services because very few communities have the resources available for both inpatient and outpatient care. So, talk a little bit about Ocean's model, what you guys mm-hmm. do with joint venture partnerships, and along this
1: Sure. So, so in every community that we're a part of, uh, we first and foremost try to be partners with the community, and I think every every good healthcare system, hospital, every provider says that. But we, but we really try to say, look, uh, behavioral health is a very personal business, it's a very, and every community deals with this uh, in its own way. So we work to uh, interact with law enforcement and understand what their challenges are. We work with health systems, Uh, not-for-profit, for-profit, religious or not, everybody struggles with this. So we really try to understand how we can best assist those hospitals, those ERs, and primary care physicians, as well as nursing homes and other settings in this journey. Mm -hmm. And, And again, I think in behavioral health, if you've seen one community, you've kind of seen one community. Law enforcement and the court systems play a big part in this. And so one of the things that Oceans does is that, and I think that we, we're really good at, is that we, we try to listen. Um, and, and, and we're not always perfect. But we really go first and foremost on a listening tour, trying to understand our communities. And as part of that, um, some health, you know, almost all, you know, all health systems say, look, this is a patient, um, a part of our community that, that we want, that we help or we want to help. Some health systems say, look, we, we, we not only want to help, we want to be a part of it. We want to expand services. And, and that's led to um, several of the JVs and the joint ventures we have within our organization. And we really have two flights. We have clinical joint ventures. Ones in which we we work closely to share data and to look at outcomes together, and on the other end of the spectrum, we have um, financial joint ventures in which we're 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 not only clinically but then financially uh, partners with health systems in the communities that we work together in.
0: Okay, so so say if a health system or hospital still wants to really retain the control and the oversight of their behavioral health programs. Mm-hmm. You y'all will allow that. You work closely with them. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, the various sure. types of JV partnerships. Because I know sure. there's like you keep saying, you see one partnership, you see more. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. It's a very, it's a very smart question, Kevin. So we don't manage anything. So we're not a management company for an organization. There are certainly people who do that and do that well. Uh we will manage a unit if it's in transition. And so for instance, in Louisiana, we've had a very I think a uh, well-published joint venture there. We're, we're a joint venture partner with the, with the LSU Auctioner uh, Health System in Shreveport, Louisiana, a, a very um, uh, respected and I think established hospital there for over a hundred years in that community. Uh, we together renovated and built a new psychiatric hospital in that community. And then uh, they shut down the beds they had in their hospital. We opened our, our new freestanding campus. And, uh, and that, and that building now, uh, provides, um, we, we tripled the capacity for the health system in a new state of the art building where we're a teaching site for the residents of LSU in North Louisiana. And, and we've expanded not only the inpatient, but also the outpatient services. Cause I would say that we're never going to fix this behavioral health issue with inpatient beds, inpatient beds are really, they're really for crisis. And so a lot of times, you know, given the, You know, this can kind of feel like shadow boxing sometimes, like how do I affect this? Beds are a very concrete, um, very tangible thing that health systems get focused on. And I think that's important. But I would say as a hospital provider, really all they can do is provide a brief respite. They can allow a patient in crisis or a patient who is very ill um, to, to, to make some recovery. It's really on the outpatient side, which is one of the other things that we provide where patients make their greatest recovery.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, and there's so many there's so many aspects of outpatient care as well. Talk a little bit about that because you know I think again people yeah you know, people just don't understand behavioral health care.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I think that um, so when you think about outpatient care, you know, that I, again, I think that's where what I would say the magic really happens in behavioral health. And, and I think it's where some of the most fascinating things happen in behavioral health As somebody that was on the medicine side, really, probably, you know, over half or two thirds of my career. You know, I, I dealt with some of the most medically complex patients in the country.
0: Mm -hmm. In behavioral
1: health, you know, while the inpatient side is important, the magic for us is happening in the privacy of with a physician or in therapy as, as patients, you know, work through and work on the things that they're encountering. And so I think we have what most people associate with psychiatry, the traditional outpatient clinic visit with either a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner, that's become a very important part of this fabric but between that and the hospital there's several levels of care that are very important one of those is what's called a partial hospitalization or PHP and that's a that's a patient that typically is discharging from a hospital and for a couple weeks has just that or a really intensive level of outpatient service, almost like what they call a partial hospital. Okay. Then they step down from there to something called intensive outpatient, which is typically anywhere from one to about 11 therapy visits a week. And so they patients may may stay with it in that for several months and then step down to. You know a traditional a traditional outpatient clinic. So those are just three. There's other settings and there's certainly other venues. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think there are options out there for patients. But again, I think we we and I say one of the things that we have to do as a provider community is make it easier for patients to navigate and for case managers to navigate many of the resources that could be available in their community.
0: Okay. Well. And I read where in early 2020 you partnered with Christmas Spawn Health and Corpus Christi. Talk about how, you know, use that as an example of how these types of partnerships are successful for both you and the, the local hospital and system.
1: Sure. Well, you know, Chrysalis is an organization that we've worked closely with for years. We have a lot of respect for and, and certainly is one that's a very mission-led and mission-driven. Organization, um, uh, Christus Spawn found itself as, as I think many health systems do, with a dated, and uh, I think uh, older building that still housed their behavioral health unit. Um, this was a, this was a, a, a program that they needed some help in, and they, and they wanted some new eyes, a new perspective on, and so we came in and agreed to build a new behavioral health hospital, an H I H or hospital within a hospital on their main campus while we took over management of their unit there. Um, much as we've done at LSU, I think we've we've tripled the the, the capacity or the, the 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 inpatient census of their existing unit while building a unit that will add new beds to the to the to the to the community and be one of the first new behavioral health units probably built built on the coastal bin there in the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. so we're not only maximizing the capacity of existing beds, We'll be building a new hospital with new beds that will bring to the community as well. Okay. Yeah,
0: again, going back to, to our issue here in Central Texas and beyond, just the, the lack of, you know, that just that basic inpatient bed component that will lead to the outpatient services. So, you know, uh, working with an academic, academic medical institution, how does that change your partnership? Anything, you know, nuanced about that from from a traditional
1: sure. acute care hospital? Sure, sure. Well, I, I think with any partnership, I, I think you have to learn to and respect your partner and in, 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 in what is important to them in these partnerships. I think when you add, the reality is when you add a teaching institution to the partnership, I think you have to understand and respect that um, education is their their first and primary goal in this joint venture. And I think all too often, we think that has to become at the behest either good operations or sustainable operations. And I think we have found the opposite. I think LSU has been an amazing partner in this. I think the, the physicians that we work with at LSU um, work to balance both the teaching mission and, and, and the role that we all have to play in sustainable healthcare. So we, we view our role um, in partnership with the LSU of helping to train the next generation of healthcare workers, not only on clinically sound care, but also sustainable care as behavioral health moves towards a more value-based world.
0: Okay. Here's the other, the other issue that all of us in acute care yeah. have. The ED utilization, behavioral health, really just exacerbates. How can you guys, what do you guys do, and how can you help your partners uh, in communities really decompress that ED?
1: Yep. Well, I I think there's a couple things that I would share with you. And I think a challenge we all share, and and it's one that we we tiptoe around in some states, but the the lack of Medicaid expansion impacts several populations. But I think the impact that it has on the most severely mentally ill, those with a high SMI, is particularly profound. Um, They're the ones who really need covers the most. And a fair amount of patients that we see in, in EDs, have have no coverage, so they have no access to care um, other than these crisis levels of care. And and now in Texas, we have we're blessed to have great uh, MHIDs or MHMRs that operate in several of the communities. There's a fabulous one there in Waco where patients can seek care if they need it. Um, but again, I think when we operate in states that have expanded Medicaid, we have seen. Um, know some differences now even in those states you know we have we have trained people for 20 years if there's an issue go to the er law enforcement go to the er Mm -hmm. and so at oceans we've actually developed uh uh, a single port of entry so people from the community can come directly to our hospital and be admitted Mm -hmm. we're working closer and closer with ambulance services we're in one of the largest pilots in america in louisiana where ambulances can now treat triage and bring a patient directly to our front door where historically they were only paid if they brought them, guess where Kevin? Yeah. To an ER, to an ED. So, so, so I think that, you know, there's these, there's these fundamental disconnects in many people's reimbursement models and they, in, in the behavioral health world that I think as providers, we've got to work to close. I think that the the, 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 the abilities of most behavioral health hospitals today are very different than what they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's one as well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, the ER today, to your point, really is ground zero for this crisis. It, yeah. it is. And, and I think, you know, one of the ways That we can help with that is access to uh, behavioral health walk-in clinics Mm -hmm. uh, access to immediate appointments on the outpatient side because a lot of these visits could be um could be headed off could be prevented but people run out of their prescription they have nowhere to go yeah and and so i think those are crucial parts of it and then there's a growing reimbursement model around crisis this level of care. We've all seen the patient in our line of work that maybe is intoxicated, has said they're suicidal, the police pick them up. Are they a behavioral health patient? Are they they a substance abuse patient? You know, you bring them to one of our settings, you know, 48 hours, they sober up. And then, you know, and and they, you know, they don't remember either some of the statements or they certainly don't believe they're in that state anymore. So, so I think there's still a lot more we can do in the middle here. But I, I do think access to care, I think funding, and then I think for the more chronically mentally ill, you know, we also have set up a system where the length of stays are so short that that we have to increase yeah. our ability. And I think this is where parity comes in. You know, the 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 you know the, the concept of parity in behavioral health to me is still an aspiration. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of things that happen in behavioral health that um there's indignities that we see as a provider class that you would never see in any other provider class, but that still happen to us today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that, you know, that, that you're, you're spending a lot of time educating the community, particularly uh, EMS and, and law enforcement, because, you know, they, they've got to make a decision quickly and they've got, you know, they, they continue, you know, they continue the patterns that they've had. And so yeah. if you can come in there and talk to them about what, you know, the benefits of coming to mm-hmm. your facility uh, or a, some sort of a freestanding type of, uh, Facility mm-hmm. where they can actually take a patient that can be that can be helped. I, I think that's you know uh, I, I thank you greatly for doing that because I know that's an issue in communities across the country. So, so in these joint partnership models, how do you help ensure quality patient care?
1: Sure. Well, it, it starts first and foremost with a shared governance and our joint ventures. Uh, our partners, we 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 share governance of the hospitals, and so they see the exact same quality we do. Um, many of our partners, their physicians, <clears throat> excuse me, are actually our physicians. Their hospitalists, the same hospitalists that round at their hospital, are our same hospitalists. Mm-hmm. So we work to integrate some of the same care standards that they have at their hospitals. For instance, at LSU, we're in Epic together, so we run their instance of Epic. Now we're a total separate hospital. We have firewalls in place, but we work to integrate the care standards as much as we can. Um, We jointly sit and share quality data across Mm -hmm. those outcomes. And so, you know, for us, a partner is a partner and we're in this together. Um, And our partners, while they may not, while behavioral health may not be the thing they focus on. Um, our acute care partners bring a wealth of resources, things that we don't have to many other aspects of the business.
0: Okay. Well, I don't want to leave today without helping you maybe build some business. So tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from, from Ocean's standpoint, what makes a good
1: acute care joint uh, joint venture partner? Sure, so well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, for us, it really, <clears throat> it really starts with a fundamental question of how do you see these patients? If you see them as part of your community, as you see them deserving of care, if there's someone that, just as any other part of your community is in need, But they're not they're not, you know, an area that that your health system is necessarily resourced for or you don't have that expertise within the health system. You know, those are conversations that we love to have and and where we really think we can add value. Well, I appreciate that. Any final words, Stuart? Now, you know, I would say, look, I, I think we have been very blessed, I think overwhelmed and, you know, by working with great health systems that want to do the right thing. This is really, really tough. And I, and I would say that um, nobody has it all figured out. I think that the key to this is communication. And, and we love to share best practices across this space. So, you know, even if a health system says, look, we, we can't necessarily do a joint venture right now, but how are they fixing that issue or what have they seen on this? We're we're always happy and we feel very blessed to be asked those questions and be able to share, um, you know, what we're seeing and and any potholes we've ever stepped in. All
0: right, well, folks, uh, we've been talking with Stuart Archer, the CEO of Oceans Healthcare. Stuart, thanks so much for being on I Don't Care with me today.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great.
0: Really enjoyed today. Okay, folks, you know how to find us: MarketScale Radio, MarketScale dot com. I did a little a little searching this weekend to see uh, where all my podcasts uh, can be downloaded from. Apple podcasts are top notch, I can tell you that. It looks like all of my uh, episodes are on that. Uh, we're on Spotify. I think there's like two icons that you have to follow to get all of them, but, uh, but they're there. And we're also looking at some other platforms as well. So I'll end today like I always do. If you haven't uh, subscribed to, I don't care with Kevin Stevenson, why not? With that, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.